Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation, broadband talk radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and uh, we're here today, as always, to help uh, public, private, and nonprofit organizations understand how to get better, faster broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. So today is a rather different show. I wanted to see if we could milk the uh, call-in feature of uh, this, this show and get some folks to call in from Kansas City to talk about uh, the Googlebit network in their uh, community. I'm broadcasting live from Kansas City today. I've been here all week, and it's been a rather um, rather interesting week, actually. Uh, the Tuesday, uh, I, I spent some time at the uh, Kansas City Startup Village, and that's a rather interesting work in progress there. Uh, they've got an insane amount of energy and enthusiasm for uh, building startup companies and, and getting them really on their way. Uh, we actually did an interview with them, and that is archived, so you can actually listen to that after uh, this show is over. Uh, but the, uh, the the cool thing about it is that, for the most part, this is a self-contained and self-planned uh, experience. The 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 software, the the startup village, in that it's not uh, heavily structured. They're not into a lot of bureaucracy. They're basically uh, groups of entrepreneurs that have great ideas. They are inspired by the uh, fact that the city has a gigabit network coming into place, thanks to Google. And they are either using the network as a way to drive their business and make it more effective and, and be able to do all kinds of cool stuff uh, on it, or they are planning to develop uh, applications or services specifically for uh, high-speed networks. And so the Google network becomes something of a uh, training area, a proving ground for the next wave or the next generation of applications that are be coming down down the pike. So to to get into there and, and like I said, understand what they're doing and so forth is really uh, interesting. I encourage you to listen to the um, the interview. Uh, yesterday I, I went back actually. They were having a little bit of a social hour, which was cool. And uh, and um, one of the uh, congressmen, Congressman Kevin Yoder, came in as well as the uh, congressional staffs of a number of um, the Kansas and Missouri uh, Senate and congressional delegation. So uh, it was a rather, um, I guess, rather highbrow gathering of folks, but it also speaks to both the, uh, the, the success um, so far of uh, the Startup Village, but also the enthusiasm that is here locally for creating innovative new companies, uh, moving things in a different direction, thanks to having uh, the, the high-speed network. And so if your congressmen and senators are paying attention to this and taking time out from the, the hubbub of Washington to you know really pay attention to what's going on locally in broadband and startup uh, activity, I think that says a lot for uh, where, where we are and where we are in terms of broadband. So that was rather uh, interesting. The heart of the, uh, the week uh, was spent with the uh, conference by the uh, Fiber to the Home Council, which is an association of um, private and, and municipal and other entities that are involved in broadband activities. 
And so they are, or they were, in, um, here on Wednesday and Thursday. There were some 400 people here from literally all over the U.S., uh, private sector companies, vendors, suppliers, and a lot of municipalities, uh, many of them with the question, where do we go next? What's uh, what's really, you know, this thing of broadband, what's it about? Um, and and how can we you know make it work? Some of the some of the questions are logistical. Obviously, a lot of questions are uh, of the funding nature, as in where can we get money for funding. Um, one of the more interesting sessions uh, that I sat in uh, talked about uh, the, um, using traditional institutional financing as a way to get. Um, broadband projects off the ground. Now, some of you who follow the news in this area know that uh, the traditional banks and venture funding and investment funding and so forth, a lot of these folks seem to be very skittish because of the rise and fall of fiber optics in the uh, in, at the end of the 90s and the beginning of this century and, uh, and, and are very skittish about getting into the business. Um, I think what we are starting to see are some of the financial institutions poking around trying to determine, you know, is this something that they want to invest in? So the uh, gentleman who was uh, speaking in one of the panels on funding uh, explained uh, different ways in which communities could uh, get together and become viable or present viable projects that may get uh, conventional uh, financing. Uh, one of those efforts is to do a lot of pre-selling to get letters of intent, uh, maybe even initial payments from institutions, uh, what we would call anchor uh, anchor institutions or anchor tenants on the network. Basically, folks like public in public safety, uh, your largest five or six businesses, the library system, the school system, getting these folks um, to commit to the network, maybe doing uh, surveys or, in, in some respects, doing what Google has done uh, in, in Kansas City, where they basically define where the network was going to go based on who was willing to pony up $10.00. And based on you know the number of initial signups and deposits, uh, determine well which areas are serious, which areas are they most likely to have um, people subscribing to the network. And if we take it out of the Google context and maybe bring it to a you know community that's just planning broadband network, doing a similar kind of task, uh, you know pre-selling, you know, gauging interest by based on financial commitment. And being able to take that to a bank or a uh, investment group, uh, maybe even angel investors, uh, to say, look, we've got 20 or 30 percent of our community that signed up for, um, you know, in advance of the network to be subscribers. And the, the gentleman who spoke, who was from Stearns, I believe, said that, uh, you know, if you can walk in with 20 percent. Uh, of your constituency or 20% of your businesses and with also a, a number of letters of intent uh, that, that are considered validated and valid. Um, this is what will turn some investment uh, institutions' head. will draw their attention and say, well, maybe these guys are serious. Uh, another strategy or tactic, I guess, would be is to get one or two local banks 
or regional banks to come in and partner with the network. And maybe they don't provide the full-on capital for the entire network build-out, but again, that 20% um, seems to be this magic number at the moment and, 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 a, and a clear indication that the community is, uh, is serious, that there is money to uh, be put into the network locally, and that um, there's a certain amount of comfort that can be drawn from that. So I would guess of all the many lessons that were, were part of this two-day uh, conference, this one on financing and how to approach the money issue is probably going to be the strongest. Um, I also had uh, posted a an article on GigaOM yesterday, Thursday, uh, about crowdfunding and a, an organization that's here in Kansas City that um, is is following in the Kickstarter footsteps sort of. Uh, they have done variations on how Kickstarter has operated, but generally the, the idea is, you know, you set up a web presence, you generate uh, investments from those people who care about the project, uh, and, and, and then Neighborly is the name of the organization, and in, in the Neighborly scenario, you know, these are civic-oriented uh, projects, projects that will help the community. And so the the article goes into some detail about how those folks who are planning broadband networks can use crowdfunding to um, to help uh, answer that question from whence will the money flow that will actually make us, uh, you know, able to move this project forward. So that was uh, at top of the line. You know, we were there. Were, obviously, there were um, examples on you know how to plan and how to do RFPs. You know, sort of some of the mechanical uh, elements. But you know, funding clearly is one. Uh, at some point, we I think we need to talk next about. Uh, marketing. I think a number of communities are really unprepared for the marketing challenges that face them as they, uh, not even as they roll the network out, but months before the network even goes live, attention needs to be paid to how are you going to position this market in the neighborhood, how you're going to promote it to initial partners, how you're going to uh, build um, political capital, and make no mistake about it, there will be a need for political capital somewhere at the beginning, the middle, or the end of the, the build-out process. And so it comes down to a marketing exercise in order to um, to get these folks involved and say, hey, you know, we, we've got, uh, you know, this broadband network, it's part of the community, it's a, it's a vital asset, and so forth and so on. But at the end of the day, the, the quality and strength of the marketing will be a, uh, a key a factor in determining um, success. Uh, another interesting item that came out for the world sort of beyond Kansas City was um, the comments that were made by uh, Google's uh, vice president, who's uh, the, the 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 face of Google, if you will, and when it, in terms of from an executive standpoint, discussing, uh, you know, where is is Google going next? People are always asking, you know, are they serious? Are they this? Are they that? Are they going to go to a bunch of cities? Are they going to go just another couple cities? And the nature of the Google position appears to be that uh, though we may have started this as an experiment, we are looking at this as a serious business venture, 
And as such, we are going to treat it and fund it uh, appropriately. And and then we went into a sort of a discussion or listened to a lecture on how that is going to unfold. And probably the uh, most pertinent at, uh, item that came out of those comments was, you know, Google is looking for places where it can have the easiest road to deployment. Part of that road to deployment is, you know, who's willing to buy it? Are there, you know, pre-subscriptions, if you will, in a volume that makes this uh, a valuable business uh, opportunity for Google or from Google's perspective? But they also talked about regulatory issues and not maybe not what you would consider um, – you know, financial issues or taxing issues and so forth, which seems to be, you know, when the, the telcos talk about uh, regulatory issues, you know, there's there's the open access issue, there's a number of other issues, and there's tax, you know, tax breaks and, and subsidies. And, and Google seems to be less concerned about the tax subsidy issues as they are interested in um, – regulations that will result in either delays or fees or additional expenses by nature of how local rules or state rules or what have you are in place. Uh, probably one of the more pointed questions that came out of the audience uh, had to do with the state of California, where Google is based, where uh, most of their um, you know staff and hierarchy are from, yet California is kind of conspicuous by sort of the absence of Google as a as a fiber provider, and um, our friend Milo kind of danced around uh, the issue. But but on the previous uh, discussion, what seems to be the case is that uh, California has a particular law that for major projects such as a a, uh, a fiber build out, uh, telecommunication infrastructure development. The ability for a couple of people to gum up the works, either through some sort of uh, legal action, uh, general protest of, of the um, of the action that's being uh, anticipated, say by the private by a private sector company, um, it is fairly easy for that to become a contentious issue. California being California, because I'm from there and I know how some some folks are about. Uh, their their concerns about the environment and their concerns about uh, you know do we want this type of business or that type of business coming in and um, looking at you know that uh, issue that that particular regulatory point in California versus um, a state that does not have similar kinds of barriers or potentials for there to be barriers such as Kansas City uh, I'm sorry such as the state of Kansas that. Uh, that matters to them. And as Milo said, you know, I'm going to go where it is easy to build. And um, and by that meaning, you know, where can I get stuff in the ground? Where can I have minimal amount of headaches? Where can I have minimal amounts of fees? Though the, you never I talked about, you know, taxes and are taxes an issue? And from everything in, in the comments, this does not seem to be the sticking point. It is usually those things such as right-of-way issues, uh, permits, permitting, um, and, and and the like. So if you're wondering, you know, will Google ever come to, you know, my hometown, you first got to look at, you know, your local ordinances and laws and, and right-of-way issues and so forth, and then run that up to the county and then run that up to the state level 
and and if you know if if your state looks like it has a lot of regulatory and fee and cost pitfalls, uh, you probably won't see Google there anytime soon. Now, conversely, there wasn't much of a you know clear picture of where the next Google City might be. You know, I would say that we can probably assume that there will be another Google City. But uh, you know they'll they'll play that fairly close to um, to the vest. So where do we go from there? So um, <clears throat> a lot of attention is that, uh, or a lot of I guess questions that came out of this conference, you know, has to do. You know, we talked about the financial aspect of it all, but uh, there is a there is a general sense of among communities. Uh, and even a number of um, uh, smaller providers and so forth is, where do we go next? What do we do next? What do we need to do to get off the dime? And there, now one of the things that the Fiber to the Home Council provided or is providing is a, uh, a set of best practices, a toolkit, as they refer to it, that enables folks, enables communities to do some preliminary math to determine, you know, what are going to be the costs of, of broadband? What are some best practices? What are some design issues? And uh, just the whole rafter of questions that people have. Well, they've worked pretty hard over the last year of trying to pull a lot of this into one place. And so I think we can look at that and say, well, uh, this is this is a good start. This is a good uh, way in which you know we can go about uh, pulling uh, pulling ourselves together and, and figuring out, figuring out a way forward. Um, there are other communities that uh, you know are try to be as helpful as possible. I know I met some folks from uh, Chattanooga who are going out more sort of as ambassadors for broadband, but also, you know, at a subtle level as economic development ambassadors for Chattanooga by, you know, going to communities and explaining, you know, these are the things that Chattanooga is doing. These are the hurdles that they've overcome and so forth. And I think that for the time being, a lot of the answers of how does our community move forward is going to be found by the, the interactions with other communities that are successful uh, with their broadband projects. And we have, oh, some 340 some odd communities that have their own uh, broadband network of one sort or another. There are communities that are in public-private partnerships. There are telephone co-ops and um, other organizations, some private sector companies and so forth and as much as possible, you know, we're sort of into this learning exercise of uh, word of mouth and anecdotal and so forth. And it's a little bit frustrating, but there doesn't seem to be, at least in the next three, four months, next six months, uh, a cure for, um, you know, a lot of this having to go and, in essence, do door-to-door <laughs> learning and, and figuring out what kinds of things make sense. The encouraging aspect, of, though, of, of the conference was the number of folks that were there. You know, and I would say of the <clears throat> 400 and some odd people who attended, you know, easily, easily half or more were, were folks representing communities. And in speaking with a lot of those uh, community representatives, 
Um, there is definitely a very positive energy. There is forward momentum. There are people taking action. Uh, so we're moving past the theoretical, well, should we do it, should we not? You know, these folks are definitely committed. They still may not know every, you know, everything they need to know about how to move forward, but they have spent the time uh, understanding, um, you know, that they, they need to make this, this decision to move forward, and they are indeed moving forward. Uh, and now for a momentary selfless promotion of... Uh, of, of uh, what it is that I'm doing. Uh, recently, I released a book, uh, Building the Gigabit City, that try, brings structure and um, process to you know how do how folks go about developing their needs assessment? How do they go about analyzing options that they have? And there are probably more options out there than than the average uh, community realizes is, is out there. So the book obviously is trying to uh, help people you know, see what those options are, understand how to analyze those and, and come to some understanding or consensus about where it is that, that a specific community wants to go, needs to go in order to move broadband forward. Uh, so you get that, it's a free download. Um, there's an ad for it here on on uh, the Gigabit Nation site, the website, and also on my website at cjspeaks.com. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about some other stuff. Uh, obviously, the phone lines are not ringing off the hook. This was an experiment, and it seems there are lots of shy folks in uh, Kansas City that maybe don't want to talk on the radio about what's going on. But but just in uh, sort of relaying anecdotal information and what people are saying that I've run into since I've been here, uh, one of the things that is apparent here that is also apparent in other communities that I have visited that that have a network that I think it's it's really hard to uh to fully grasp when you're sitting in a community that wants to have broadband but when you get here there is a high uh, uh energy level um I don't think folks believe that uh broadband will be the be all and end all of all of their problems but there is enough of a um understanding of what broadband can do, especially as it starts to roll out as it here as it has here in Kansas City and people go to the various Google stations and, you know, look at apps and development as they go to places such as the startup village and they see what the entrepreneurs are doing there and as they talk to folks about, you know, people moving in from Boston and New York and other places around the country coming to Kansas City in large part because it has uh, a gigabit networks a network in the works uh people are people are very encouraged by that they want to participate they want to be a part of that so this is a very big plus i believe for uh for Kansas City and it is viewed as such and um if anything people are frustrated because maybe they can't you know everybody can't get the the network all at once it's going to be uh, a bit of a process, and sometime into next, maybe even next year, before uh, some of the communities get it. But they're all ready for it. They're pumped for it. They're primed for it. They're starting to think about, you know, what applications they can uh, put together and make this whole thing work. So there's a very serious, uh, you know, interest in in Google. On uh, Wednesday, I had the superintendent of the school district uh, here. Um, on the on the show, and she was talking about 
just a, an amazing array of initiatives, applications, and um, projects that the school district has in mind for um, its, uh, its school kids. One of the things that's very interesting, and, and probably more people should make the point, you know, those of us who are advocates and, uh, you know, promoting the value of broadband, um, is that when I had the, um, uh, the, the, the start of Village folks on the show, and when I had the uh, school superintendent, um, it's not so much that people see, you know, endless numbers of new applications. It is more that people see new ways of doing stuff that they've been doing for years uh, in terms of how they teach, how classroom structure is, is uh, put in place, how um, you know, learning is accelerated, how product development is accelerated if you're a startup company, how you can test products and get feedback and, uh, and do so in a, a very swift manner. These you know, changes of how I do the things that I've always done, this is a big, um, this is a big plus here for folks. And, um, and I think that, you know, if we look at the Muni Wi-Fi uh, craze that swept the country back in 2004, 2005, <clears throat> the one thing that happened there was that expe expectations far, far exceeded what the technology could deliver. And this became a problem as people quickly became disillusioned. Um, I think here, go if you go at it from the perspective of, you know, really what you're doing here is changing the way things have been done in the past so that they are more efficient, they're more productive, that uh, in public safety, our, our public safety workers are safer. That's where the value is. And people can understand and wrap their minds around that. They are very content with the, the advances that, uh, the network brings uh, to their perspective, you know, respective job or their respective community or association and so forth. And so um, a big lesson I would pull from the, you know, two days spent talking to folks on the, um, on Gigabit Nation is that, you know, we are enhancing what we do to great advantage more so than we are, you know, parting the Red Sea and walking on water because we happen to have, uh, as as we happen to have broadband. And um, I was speaking with someone at the um, event, not event, but sort of the happy hour event that uh, the Startup Village had yesterday. And one of the companies there, uh, Handprint, um, the uh, the guy that's heading that uh, that venture up. So you know, you know, I want to be clear on this that you know it's not that you know we are um, you know using this to uh, create something that's new and 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 spectacular. It's basically to make the ability to deliver the product better, to de develop and work on the new project, uh, the new product more effectively and more efficiently. And here's someone who brought a team of people from Boston to come to Kansas City primarily because it has the network and um and but they view it as you know this allows us to work better and it's not like Boston doesn't have internet access because it does but as in many places it's it's the 
the capacity to do the things that people want to do or want to do better is where people are frustrated. And so, you know, entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs who are in their 20s, probably are more, uh, you know, prone to pick up and move across the, the U.S. But um, it's it's interesting to see, like I said, this kind of uh, interest level, you know, this type of drastic, you know, we're going to pick up a bunch of people and move to another state uh, where the end result is not to necessarily create, uh, you know, the, the some great fantabulous product, but in order to just do business more effectively. And, yes, their product will help folks in, in, in meaningful ways, um, but that perspective, that perspective and expectation, you know, this is what we really need to, when I say we, I'm referring to we as an industry, need to work on to maximize um, <clears throat> people's satisfaction with the end product, with the end uh, network. And as people start to get it and uh, it's built out and they're actually online, they will figure out ways to eventually do spectacular stuff with it. Um, but right now, I think the your first six months of you know having a network in your community, if you're working on a network, a lot of that is just going to be people marveling at the fact that they can just do stuff faster. They can get stuff and be gone. They can, you know, do all kinds of, you know, video conferencing and talk to people that they haven't been able to talk to. That's going to to matter a lot um, with folks. Um, what's interesting, there will be, uh, thanks to uh, US Ignite, which is an organization that has come together to foster the development of applications, they will be um, running a uh, conference themselves out of Chicago uh, the last week of June, the 24th, 25th, 26th, I believe. Uh, and that will be an opportunity to see applications, probably more applications that are developed for taking advantage of high-speed Internet, of gigabit networks and so forth, so if you've got, you know, travel budget and, and you know, haven't seen Chicago in a while and want to get back to the Windy City, uh, latter June might be a good time to do that. And it will be interesting to see uh, what happens when, when we look at very specific uh, products, services, and so forth that will come out of uh, this, this whole gigabit, uh, gigabit space. Uh, the folks in Chattanooga not to be left out of any of this uh, exciting exciting software development. Uh, they are doing their uh, program that they did last year, which was basically bringing in a bunch of college students uh, for the summer as well as entrepreneurial teams into Chattanooga to play, 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 build, design, push the envelope five ways from Sunday to come out of what I refer to as summer camp for geeks uh, in, in August to come out with applications. And some of those, if it was anything like last year, some of those applications that they will come out with will indeed be fairly spectacular. Uh, I remember one of the um, more interesting products that was demoed after this summer camp experience in Chattanooga was a software product that, um, you know, that you, the user, if you went to Spain or you were in South America and you don't did, don't speak the language, you would have this device 
and you'd talk into the device or the, the person that you wanted to talk to and ask for directions would talk into the device and it would translate that, what they've said, into English, if it's coming from the country to you or your English into their their language. And needless to say, it was a, it was a prototype of in many respects but they were able to, you know, get the basic foundation of this product developed. Uh, they want some some cash as a result of it, and you know, just pushing the imagination of, you know, well, what happens if you have this Star Trekky type in, environment, gigabit driven, where I can now speak and and be understood by folks who who don't speak English. So we can expect, I would say, from uh, from the U.S. Ignite event and from the Chattanooga uh, graduation, if you will, of all these folks that are in, in the summer program in August, uh, lots of new, exciting um, uh, products. Uh, it's interesting to contrast that, coming back to Kansas City, uh, it's interesting to contrast that with you know, Startup Village Yes, there are technology companies there, but there are also companies that are in, uh, you know, in the clothing industry. There's a couple of startups that are yeah, coming out with food-based or, or textile-based um, products. So almost as old-fashioned as con- and conventional as you can get, uh, these folks are here part of the um, the excitement of of the gigabit world, but they are far removed from being a a technology company. And as will hopefully come out in an article I'm doing over that'll just come out in the weekend. You know, I go into some detail about uh, the 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 fact that this is a uh, a product, this is a service, this is technology that impacts a lot of non technology startups. And we should, um, you know, we should really think about, uh, you know, that as we are envisioning what what does the future, um, what does the future look like in terms of having these gigabit networks in uh, in in our midst. And so we'll, we will see. We'll see how that all uh, how that all plays out. Um, looking at uh, topics that will probably be explored in greater detail as we go through the upcoming weeks, I believe that education will start to become more centered uh, in the discussion. I think currently a lot of discussion is about economic development and what what do these networks mean for economic development? What do they mean for bringing new companies into town? What do they mean for creating new startups? I mean, that's sort of a lot of the the, um, interest that has been shown in in Startup Village is really about, you know, developing, you know, oodles of, of innovative uh, organ companies, startups. But I think that, um, you know, from what folks have explained to me, and again, you can listen to the interview from Wednesday, uh, there is a lot of excitement simmering beneath the surface in education. And, uh, you know, when we're, there are behind efforts to get a laptop to every student and they are coming out with new and innovative ways to to teach new ways to deal with class uh room crowding which is is a significant problem in some in some uh school districts but um you know how well some of these technologies that are designed to help students how effective they're going to be is going to depend on how 
um, uh, significant are the broadband options in their homes, not just in their classrooms. You know, we're reaching a point where, um, you know, we, we talk about broadband, I think, when we talk about an isol we talk about an isolation. We will isolate the school and say, yes, broadband is great for the schools because it gives kids access to new uh, learning tools and it allows them to collaborate with kids in other cities or countries even. And we think about, well, we need to, broad to bring in broadband and connect it to the schools, which is good, but it's not the full and complete picture of broadband transforming education. Broadband transforms education when that same connectivity that's in the school is also run out to the home. So the kids, when they leave the classroom, will be able to access uh, lessons that are delivered on uh, YouTube. They will be able to collaborate in work groups uh, using um, uh, using broadband. And we have a caller, so let's see what we have, who we have on the line. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Who do we have here today? Hey, Craig, Rick Usher, Kansas City. I didn't think I'd make it, but uh, finished the meeting earlier. No worries. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. You and I have talked a bunch, and it's great to have you on the show. And for the benefit sure. of our audience. Sure. So uh, uh, I just caught kind of the tail end of what you were um, covering, but um, you know, it's great to see you in Kansas City this week. Um, I think the conference um, was a success. And uh, are you in Kansas City right now? I am still here. This is my last official task before I um, – I'm actually going to go off and, and uh, visit one of the communities that has a wireless initiative going on here in, in Kansas City. I think they're called Juniper um, Juniper Gardens. Ridge? Juniper Gardens, yes. yeah. yeah. Ridge is the other. Rosedale Ridge, Juniper Gardens. Yes. So I'm going to go you know, check out their stuff, which will be interesting as well, Um uh, you know, there's like basically two different parts of the community. I mean, you've got the startup village, which is where, you know, we've got a lot of entrepreneurial activity going on. We've got, uh, these other two, uh, communities, which are, are low income, but they're looking to broadband as a way to level the playing field, uh, to a great extent, you know, both in terms of, uh, you know, getting to jobs, being able to, you know, improve education, making sure the kids are, you know, keeping up with the, you know, kids in other neighborhoods and so forth. But you're the hometown person here, Rick. You probably know the scene better. So from your perspective, and you're, you know, you work with the with the city, what do you see happening in, in Kansas City now that Google Fiber is becoming more real? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm seeing people, you know, really starting to take it seriously, and um, and starting to see the, the potential. Um, you know, we had a panel uh, discussion with um, residents and graduates of the Home for Hacker program who have uh, experienced life on a gig, and uh, really, what's happening now is we're seeing how this is. Um, you know, not just internet access, but it's it's community building, mm -hmm. um, and uh, where so I think people have had fears in the past that the internet is isolating and and maybe causing people to you know be more alone. With uh, it seems to me like gigabit speeds, the symmetric gigabit speed allows more online communication and more collaboration. Mm -hmm. and we're that with uh, the startup village, some of the companies collaborating with um, 
the folks in Chattanooga, and that soon we'll see that happening uh, with uh, Austin and Provo, and and uh, I don't know. There's like uh, what 50 other gigabit cities out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all. Uh, there's five or cities anyway, but not all gigabit cities. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I know that uh, Kansas City in particular, I think, is planning to be very aggressive at is uh, telemedicine, which, again, I don't think it's hit mainstream yet. But from your observations uh, or, you know, maybe even just sitting in on discussions and whatnot, uh, is this going to be a big part, do you think, of the, I don't know, the gigabit experience is that there's going to be a lot of changes and new stuff coming out relative to healthcare and medical care services? Um, yeah, I, I believe it, it, it's going to be in at different events. Um, I've been to hackathons and other you know, business creation uh, meetings. There, there are a lot of people out there working on healthcare apps. Um, my medical advisor is, is one. Uh, there's another called the brief case um and uh during the gigabit challenge a year or so ago there was a an app called get give got uh, i thought it was pretty compelling that it um would be uh initially a, like a, a wi-fi a connection or, or enabled device that would uh ride with the uh emergency responders so that they could be giving real-time information back to the hospitals, so you're you know you're getting information right away back to the hospitals. They can help triage, and then uh, it would work its way into um, the medical treatment that the person might receive in the hospital, and then follow them home for their mm-hmm. home care, and mm-hmm. uh, and keep all of that data and all that information um, you know synchronized in, in one mm-hmm. app. Um, I know you probably got a lot going on in your day, but one thing I, while I have you here, um, I often tell folks that one of the benefits of, of uh, you know, gigabit networks and so forth is changing, uh, enhancing how the business of government, local government, gets done. And you're in the government structure, uh, and think been been at it for a while. Um, how do you see um, the the network? Uh, improving the way government services get delivered. Um, well, that's a, a, a timely question too. I just left a director's meeting where our communications um, officer is describing KC 3.0. It'll be a new, our next uh, iteration of our, uh, our our city website. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we're really, I think, just scratching the surface on what we might be able to do with a with a gigabit. Uh, network serving our citizens. Uh, we already at, at KCMO.org, um, we we uh, live stream all of our city council hearings and sessions. The city clerk's office staff are monitoring um, the email address of the specific committees that they're on so they can take questions uh, sometimes by email during the hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have what, what could be interesting of um, like a uh, a Google Hangout for a city council hearing, wouldn't that be interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, because uh, you can um, with the network in place, your ability to do all kinds of um, you know video events. You know, in other words, enabling people to actually interact face to face from their home with yeah. uh, government at many levels is is a, a potentially a good 
um, a good tra- or a good transformation of government services as well. Um, yeah, and, and face-to-face um, communication is is uh, so much better than email or even um, telephone. Um, we have our uh, business customer service center, KC BizCare, and I'm working with staff there to um, basically become you know digitally literate and then digitally engaged and and uh, put it out there so that we can meet with our customers through Skype or through Google Hangouts. Mm-hmm. Um, we have already uh, engaged with uh, social media, with a Facebook page for a number of departments and divisions and city government have Facebook pages, Twitter accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think recently we were named like number four um, top most digitally engaged cities in the country. You know, our mayor, uh, Sly James, has a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Uh, and He's constantly on it. In fact, he's created hashtag Frosty. Is he's almost <laughs> taken that away from Wendy's. So. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I like that. <laughs> I um, you know, because I was about to ask you, you know, where does you know Kansas City fit in its use of uh, social media and the like? So if you guys are like number four, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty impressive. And then the network's not even finished yet. <laughs> Yeah, and, and well, and, and that was uh, you know, and we we've always had a, a I think a fairly well you know top rated um, website like in the top ten, and then from what I've saw you know Danny Roder, Roder our uh, communication director, uh, demonstrating today I think we're we're about to you know here by the end of the year maybe first of next year launch a site that uh, is going to be even more per, uh, um exciting for the for our customers. Yeah, it was kind of interesting when I had um <clears throat> superintendent uh, Dr. Lane on uh on the show on Wednesday. Like one of the questions I asked was, you know, would you know, is it possible that as students become more and more engaged online that they may become more engaged civically? Uh you know, cuz we sort of started talking about well when we were kids, you know, we had civics courses and and all that type of stuff, and you know, and, and which promoted civic engagement. But now, with kids being in tune, uh, you know, with all these social media and stuff, and and a local government such as you know you guys here in Kansas City, you know, aggressively using these tools, you know, is it possible that you know, un, uh, unlike what the, sort of the common complaint is, that kids will actually get interested in what's happening with their government and actually participate more? Um, yeah, and and we're definitely um, seeing that happen. In fact, you give me a chance then here to plug um, Hack KC, a, a big uh, civic engagement event we're having um, tomorrow, you know, Saturday and Sunday at Union Station. Um, Hack KC is um, basically set up to you know assist city government in becoming more um, more efficient, but also um, more engaged with our with our citizens. Um, it's part of this National Day of Civic Hacking that's taking place. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also involved in that is our uh, Code for America team. Um, they'll be there uh, working with uh, with folks. And uh, Ashley Hand, our uh, Chief Innovations Officer in Mayor James' mm-hmm. office, uh, formed a challenge cabinet that involves you know, a lot of young people and, and smart minds throughout the city. And uh, they've all signed up to different uh, groups. Mm-hmm. For that. So now, how um, 
Wow, that would be interesting, you know, because I <clears throat> one of the things I've noticed I'm somewhat removed uh, from you know how kids and teenagers behave, except for you know the stories you read about oh they're more self centered yada yada yada. But I'd like to think that um, you know there is a I don't know a, a level of interest that exists already. And maybe even because of the internet giving them, you know, ability to just get to information about everything and uh, more, faster, deeper information and so forth, that there is a greater awareness of what's going on in their, you know, in their political, and not so much political process, but like I said, just the the business of being, you know, engaged civically with what's with what's happening, and and so on. Um, from an economic, the, the, from a digital inclusion uh, side. Um, I assume that this is a, you know, this is also a, a, a priority, you know, closing the digital divide. Um, how do you see that going? I mean, is, is there, is there interest, is there engagement from, you know, folks who historically have not been connected, uh, to what's going on in the mainstream? Um, yeah, there there is definite interest citywide, and you know I you, you mentioned kind of my tenure at City Hall. I've been with the city for 28 years, and I haven't really in that time seen a project that has engaged our full, uh, you know, citizenry population as the uh, Google Fiber project. It seems like everyone you know gets the idea that it's going to be useful to the city and uh you know exciting to have in either in their neighborhoods or in their schools and on the digital inclusion side you know we saw during their sign up campaign um the, the clear um social racial economic divisions in the city popping up on that map when you know our inner city neighborhoods weren't um really really going green and what and that meant that they were you know reaching their thresholds for uh, inclusion in the uh in the fiber deployment, mm -hmm. and what we saw was um, schools and churches and uh, libraries, and then uh, uh, Aaron Deacon, uh, who's now with KC Digital Drive, uh, launched um, a, a campaign on our crowdfunding site, Neighborly, to raise funds to sign up uh, households for uh, for Google Fiber. And uh, because uh, what we also saw was that, you know, to sign up, you had to have a credit card and a computer with Internet access, which are two things that, of course, define, uh, you know, the digital divide. Mm -hmm. uh, so with prepaid debit cards and with the Google team um, ramping up staff and, and cooperating with uh, uh, representatives of the community, um, just going door to door and, and signing up, uh, signing up, um, Residents, and that—that's just you know for that initial ten bucks to uh, express your interest and have your fiberhood included in the drawing. Now, you know, of course, our next challenge is to at least get um, everybody hooked up with the free connection if they don't already have internet service that they're satisfied with, mm -hmm. um, and that of course requires the three hundred dollar um, sign-up fee. So I'm expecting that we'll see a uh, another neighborly campaign, some some more. Uh, Kansas Cityans have always been very charitable i think you know most cities are but we've we have a uh, a history of organizations that you know, not only philanthropic locally but internationally mm -hmm. let me get your opinion uh, our library sorry back you know on digital no, no, inclusion and literacy our uh, public library system uh, they'll tell you they've been 
working on you know digital literacy for 15 years by having the uh, computer centers in their facilities, and they are now you know leading this uh, this effort for digital literacy. Mm-hmm. One of the um, I did a <clears throat> I did a national survey uh, a couple of weeks ago in in partnership with uh, Broadband Communities Magazine. And one of the questions there, because we're talking about broadband's impact on economic development, and I asked folks, did they believe that uh, broadband could be used to encourage um, individual entrepreneurialism? In other words, you know, startup businesses, similar to what's going on in Startup Village, but encourage that kind of activity among low-income citizens with the thinking behind it being that you know we we have programs that in essence provide assistance and safety nets and so forth but what happened if we would take that up a notch or can we take that up a notch and turn folks who are you know not working uh maybe dropped out of high school and so forth turning them into entrepreneurs through the you know the value and the presence of broadband um as a as a city person you know what's what's your take on that can we do that is it um, yeah, easy. definitely, and I think you know when we were evaluating Google's offer, we you know took a lot of things into mind, but you know definitely was the growth of home-based businesses with it being a fiber to the home initiative. Um, of course, we saw that you know they are now talking about a small to medium business offering, but right now it's fiber to the home. So mm-hmm. all the startups we're seeing are, are operating out of houses. They're doing it in compliance with our zoning laws that allow home-based businesses. Um, and uh, we have, uh, we've been tracking home-based business, you know, startups through uh, KC BizCare, our business customer service center. I think in 2012 we had seven, about just over 700 uh, home-based businesses uh, obtain business licenses. And we're watching that because, of, of course, we're, uh, hoping that we'll experience what you see in so many studies, that as broadband speed increases, the number of home-based businesses increase, their profitability and, and employment increase. Um, and then on on uh, that being available to low-income residents, um, I believe it was your radio show with Mike Lamata, or Limata. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes. Good. Where uh, the woman at Rosedale Ridge, uh, who had just moved in and, and was – just working with basic Wi-Fi of like five meg download um, was explaining that she might start a business. So you have this economic mobility tool that you know hits you right where you need it at home and mm-hmm. gives you, you either have the ability to go out and look for jobs and you know that's really where the job market is right now. Is I mean, there's always you know finding a job through your social networks, but finding them online is, is uh, I think even more possible today. Mm-hmm. And in fact, most companies seem to require you to file your application um, online. And with the gigabit connection being, I think, just the, the most awesome thing about this is that it's a symmetric gig. And mm-hmm. uh, we've got, you might have met the sports photos guy who uh, was saying that before he had a gigabit upload, it was taking him 40 hours to upload his week's worth work, and now he can do it in about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So he's out there able to do more business rather than on the back end delivering his service, his uh, 
services. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a theory, and you as a as a you know, city official can tell me if this makes sense or not. But I think that as we who are advocates of broadband talk about broadband for um, low-income individuals as part of a safety net or part of a program of of safety nets that, you know, you get the basic, well, why am I paying, you know, why are my tax dollars going to deal with people who are, you know, not working and all the rest of the negative stuff? I'm sure you've heard a lot of it. But I think that we as promoters maybe need to talk more about, uh, you know, broadband's ability to take someone who is, um, you know, is receiving assistance, which is sort of a, um, you know, it, it's taking away, it's not a productive contribution to the community, but you're taking um, uh, broadband and you're saying, well, we're going to use this to, to to turn these, you know, un- unemployed or undereducated individuals into productive, proactive contributors to the community and the community bottom line. And that if we promote that more, maybe we'll find a greater acceptance of folks willing to help the process get greater acceptance in low-income areas. I mean, is that a reasonable expectation? Um, yeah, and and I think um, you know, back to connecting for good. That's really their main mission. Um, they're providing uh, digital literacy training at their uh, their office on Westport Road. They're providing. Uh, low low cost uh, re- refurbished computers and um they're providing you know working with different uh, uh low income housing uh developments to uh install wifi uh networks so mm-hmm. they're they're really delivering on um you know what they their their mission and uh yeah it's it's, it's transformative i think for someone to have internet access um and you you can uh you know use it to improve yourself educationally um through you know amazing tools out there like Khan Academy uh you can become a coder by using a code academy mm-hmm. uh, one interesting thing just about internet ed- education is we have a uh a web app developer uh, here in town who he's got a you know pretty decent college education but he says the tools that he l- learned uh, that he uses to you know make his his business run on a daily basis he learned on the internet and uh mm-hmm. well you know this is uh all been extremely valuable and helpful and I'm really really glad you called in uh we're just about out of time but uh Rick it has been a pleasure being in Kansas City this week and the the conference was awesome Seeing all my friends that I've made here in, in Kansas City and, and, you know, the folks like you that I've worked and talked with before uh, has been a, a major plus. And, you know, I'm glad that I can use the show to help bring that spotlight spotlight to Kansas City. And, and I hope that in the end, you know, there's just like great stuff continues to come out of here. Oh, it so. is. And you're always welcome, Craig. It's always great to hear from you and uh, see you in town. Excellent. So we will meet again and uh, have a great rest of your day and a great weekend. Um, and thank you to our audience for listening in, as always. You know, obviously the show would not be the show without our audience and supporters. Uh, next week we will start to rev up and bring some more shows, more communities, doing everything we can to keep this broadband train a-rolling. 
So everybody have a great day, a wonderful weekend, and we'll talk again soon.